Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the TR90 Body Vent 30 Support Call. This call happens Monday through Friday at this time, which for me is 6.40 Pacific Time. <coughs> Excuse me. So 6.40 Pacific Time, 7.40 Mountain Time, 8.40 Central Time, and 9.40 East Coast Time. Thrilled to have you along with us. Um, just, you know, we are just absolutely thrilled to have you with us. I am Susan Mann out of Portland, Oregon, and if you're catching us live, great, and if you want to catch us on a podcast, if you go to SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcast through, whichever service, by putting in Frank, F-R-A-N-K, Lomas, L-O-M-A-S, and PR90, these calls will pop up. They're now archived back 11 plus years. If you're listening to this as a podcast and you want to catch us live, if you dial in to 712-775-8972, and when it prompts for the code, put in 910022, you can catch us live. So this TR90 program, when you're first starting out, is your really good, clean, lean meal a day, two shakes a day, three snacks a day, 30 grams of protein at at least three of those meals. Um, taking your supplements 15 to 20 minutes before a meal, if at all possible. If it's not possible, do take it with your meal. They'll still work. It's just not quite as effective as it would be if you could take them beforehand. That's, that's kind of how that works. Um, let's see, what else can I tell you? Drinking plenty of fluid to stay hydrated. The current thinking is at least one ounce of water for every two pounds that you weigh. So. Um, if you weigh 100 pounds, you should be drinking a minimum of 50 ounces of water daily. But if you're exercising heavily or if you are in a humid area, you'll need to increase that fluid intake to offset what you're losing in body moisture. Seven plus servings of fruits and vegetables every single day. So that will give you macronutrients, micronutrients, and fiber. Fiber, guys need about 45 grams of fiber. Ladies, we need about 32 grams of fiber daily. Um, that really keeps your digestive tract in good, healthy running order. Seven to eight, uh, seven to nine hours of good quality sleep a night. That actually helps your body do a whole bunch of system resets if you're getting good quality sleep. Helps you make good decisions, plan out your next day. All those things are really important because they will actually help you moving forward. So we've talked about vegetables, water, 30 of minutes of moderate to heavy exercise at least five days a week. That exercise um, is part of this lifestyle change, and it is a lifestyle change. It's not something you do once and you never do it again. It's kind of an ongoing thing. Once you've made that lifestyle change and you've adjusted to where you're at and where you should be, you'll have to tinker a little bit with whether you need to take the supplements going forward or not, but, you know, there it is. With that being said, I'm sharing some information today that will help support that TR90 lifestyle, and I'm sharing some information out of a book that's called Fat Chance, Beating the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Food, Obesity, and Disease. It was written by Robert H. Lustig, MD, MSL. And uh, he actually was a doc, 
Morris. He might still be a doctor at St. Jude's Children's Hospital, and he ran into this, and so he, not only to help his patients, but also to help the adults in his life, he went ahead and wrote this book, and it's really got a lot of really scientific, scientifically based information that helps with what's going on in the background and some hints as to what we can be doing going forward. So today we're talking about the omnivore's curse, low fat versus low carb. So fat or carbohydrate? Fat and carbohydrate. Hmm, which one? Which one of those three choices? Well, here's some food for thought. With every few, with very few exceptions, every naturally occurring food stuff contains either fat or carbohydrate, but usually not both. Meat, fish, and poultry have no carbohydrates. Grains, roots, and tubers, for example, potatoes and yams, have no fat. Those fruits that have fat, such as avocados and olives, and coconut, have minimal carbohydrates. Nuts are an exception, but they are still pretty low in carbohydrates and very high in fiber. That's why they're brown. Milk is another exception to the rule, but other than that, which came from their mothers, humans were not exposed to other mammals' milk until the beginnings of agriculture in the Neolithic period. We didn't have a USDA food pyramid to follow. It wasn't until we became gourmets, eating fat and carbohydrates in the same meal, that our cells first felt the wrath of the mitochondrial wear and tear. This accounts for the appearance of the metabolic disease. With the advent of a trade in the early 17th century, before that food was still a function of what you killed or you grew yourself. Eventually, we became gourmands, eating fat and carbohydrate in the same food. This is the essence, the blessing and the curse of processed food except for one big item, which has both fat and carbohydrates at the same time. And I'll give you a hint. It's really sweet. The Battle Royale. The prevalence of heart disease had begun to rise slowly over the early 20th century when Paul Dudley White wrote his classic treaty, Heart Disease, in 1931. White was Eisenhower's cardiologist in 1955 after the president's heart attack. The move to reduce heart disease through dietary intervention was in full swing by the 1960s, with the U.S. government wanting to take a provocative role. This set the stage for, nutritional, for a nutritional holy war played out in kitchens and restaurants across America. The goal was to alter our diet for the better. Instead, we laid waste to every nutritional hypothesis, lost the public's trust, and killed countless millions in the process. We will be suffering the aftermath of this battle royale for generations to come. The first salvo in the battle emanated from the dental community prior to 1960. The known problems associated with sugar were restricted to the development of cavities. With the advent of water fluoridation in 1945, cavities were no longer a public 
health issue. Sugar dropped from the radar. Enter John Yedkin and Ansel Keys. Yedkin, a British physiologist and nutritionist, researched the nature of chronic disease. In 1957, he postulated that dietary composition was the cornerstone of coronary thrombosis, or heart attacks. By 1964, he had determined through natural observation that the consumption of sucrose was most closely associated with heart disease. He was the first to show that sugar uniquely raised serum blood triglycerides and insulin levels. In 1972, he published his seminal work on the subject, Cure White and Deadly in the United Kingdom. Yedkin published countless papers on the biochemistry of sucrose specifically to warn uh, specifically the molecule called fructose, which gives sweet sugar its sweetness. He was the first to warn that excessive consumption could lead to coronary heart disease, diabetes, GI disease, eye disease, and other inflammatory diseases. Ansel Keys, a Minnesota epidemiologist, was already in the public eye as the inventor of the K-ration during World War II. In 1952, he took a sabbatical in England where he saw enormous increases in heart disease in the face of the English diet, which consisted of incredibly high fat and high cholesterol items. Think bangers and mash, fish and chips. He noted that those who were the best fed in both the U.S. and U.K., those able to afford meat, were the ones who suffered most often from heart problems. He returned to the United States on a mission to prove that cholesterol and dietary fat were the direct sources of heart disease. Keith published many studies in the 1960s and 70s that demonstrated higher cholesterol levels in patients with heart disease. He also showed the increased consumption of dietary fat, which led to higher cholesterol. Keith's seminal Seven Countries study in 1980 was a 500-page volume dedicated to the concept that through its cholesterol content, dietary fat was the single cause of heart disease. Unfortunately, based on his own work, there are four problems with his thesis. Let's see where we're at here. We've got a couple more minutes. So... And let's see how many problems he's got here. We've got four problems. So the first one is seven-country study started out as a 22-country study. Key seven countries were Japan, Italy, England, Wales, included as a separate country by Keys, Australia, Canada, and the U.S. For these seven, the relationship between dietary fat and heart disease looks pretty convincing. But when all 22 countries were plotted, adding in Australia, Ceylon, Chile, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Ireland, Israel, Mexico, Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Portugal, Sweden, and Switzerland, the correlation became a lot less convincing. They also chose to leave out indigenous tribes, such as the Inuit of North America and the 
Tokelau of Oceania and the Maasai and the Renzilla, both Africa, who ate only animal fat and have among the lowest prevalence of heart disease on the planet. Second problem, the role of dietary fat in heart disease is complicated by the consumption of trans fats, in other words, margarine, which are a significant factor in the etiology of metabolic syndrome. Trans fat use peaked in the 1960s with the advent and popularization of margarine. Remember imperial margarine? margarine? Stick for a king? Just as Keyes was starting his epidemiological research, he, could he have been studying an effect of trans fat instead of saturated fat in the developed countries, which he did not separate the two in his work? Why he didn't, we don't know. Number three, the correlation itself is a problem. At the end of the graph are Japan and Italy, and as they eat the least amount of saturated fat, but they also eat the least amount of dietary sugar of all the countries included. How can you determine whether it is fat or sugar that is driving this relationship when both go together? Hmm. And number four, and we'll be discussing this later, his mega opus, he's quotes, the fact that the incident rate of coronary heart disease was significantly correlated with the average percentage of calories from sucrose in the diet is explained by the correlation of sucrose and saturated fat. In other words, sucrose is also correlated with heart disease. Akis did not think that this was an issue. When one does a multivariant correlation analysis, determining whether a a causes B, regardless of the impact of C, D, and E, one has to do it both ways. In this case, one would need to hold sucrose constant and show the dietary fat still correlates with the heart disease. Keys didn't perform this kind of analysis. We don't know why, which is, so which is it, the fat or the sugar? And tomorrow we'll be jumping into kick it up a notch, bam, and talking more about yesterday and cheese. With that, I'm going to take us off mute at the top of the hour. If you scoot over to Facebook, one global live. One of our leaders will be sharing information on how to build a new skin business. Thrilled to have you along with us. Um, this is Susan Mann for January 23rd of 2023. I want to wish everyone who is celebrating Lunar New Year, a happy Lunar New Year that started on yesterday. Thrilled to have you with us. I welcome any thoughts or comments you may have. And thank you for joining us this morning. So there we have it, my friends. We're still not sure whether it's fat or sugar, but we're going to be delving into that tomorrow. And as I said, I was I'm thrilled to have you along with us. Any thoughts or comments, anybody? Looking forward for you to help us solve the mystery.
Hello? 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 